spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Fall is here, and we are prepared to defend the TV realm. It's episode 179 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and that's right. Hopefully your DVRs are prepared, because Fall TV is now here. So many great new shows that are coming, so many great shows that are coming back, and you know that I'll have a whole bunch of special guests lined up for the show, coming up to talk about those shows, both new and returning, even shows that we've never talked about on this show before, like Outlander from Stars, I'm going to be talking about that this year with a special guest contributor. If you saw my video on Facebook, you know that we're going to be bringing on contributors from time to time to talk about certain things. Outlander is one of them, and some other stuff down the line as well. You know, Star Trek Discovery is going to be coming, The Orville, Marvels and Humans. I, I got to tell you, I don't know which one. I'm looking forward to the most as far as new shows are concerned, but I'm definitely very excited. Even for Inhumans, I haven't seen it yet. I saved my money, okay? I just didn't see it. It just didn't seem right to spend 15, 20 bucks to see something I'm going to be able to see for free in a couple of weeks. I know, I know. I should have seen it so I could review it for you guys this week on the podcast, but you know what? 0% on Rotten Tomatoes tells me all I need to know, but I'll reserve my opinion. I'll go into it with an open mind at the end of the month and see what happens. Speaking of my opinions, you'll have those up next. It's what we're reading on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Ted Adams, CEO and publisher of IDW, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's time to grab your laptop, your tablet, or your long box, whatever you're reading with. It's time for what we're reading, and the biggest book of the week for me has got to be Star Wars Adventures number 1 from IDW. You actually get two stories. The first revolves around Rey. It's called Better the Devil You Know, Part 1, which is written by Kavan Scott, artist Jarek Charm, and letters by Tom B. Long. And then you have another backup story, which is actually centered around... Obi-Wan Kenobi and the Jedi, which is actually a little bit interesting, which is also written by Kavan Scott. We also have letters done by Tom B. Long on that one. Artists, though, pencils done by John Samariva and the inks done by Sean Parsons. Let's start off with this Ray story first. Of course, one of the things I like about it is that it gets to showcase Ray is not only a badass, but you also get her compassionate side as well. And another aspect that Kavan Scott brought into this book that I thought was really interesting is a little bit of a detective side because you remember Unkar from Star Wars Force Awakens? You know, you get a quarter portion. You know, you give him the parts and he gives you the rations, stuff like that. You might have hated him. Well, something happens to him and Rey being Rey decides that she needs to find him. And I won't tell you the reasons for that because I don't want to spoil the book. And also because we do find out who takes him and why and it and ray may or may not be one of the reasons why so i don't know if she's doing this because she feels bad about it or if she genuinely is wondering who took him and why but that's kind of where the story centers around and the other thing that's cool is you get a little bit of politics you get a little bit of backs backstabbing in this book as well and this you know this comic is supposed to be for young adults and it very much reads that way but at the same time as an adult and as a Star Wars fan, it's certainly not off-putting. I, I definitely enjoyed it. I like seeing more 
about Ray, and I, I love the fact that we get a little bit of a highlight of her. We get a little bit of, you know, they kind of reset from The Force Awakens. Like, if you're not super familiar with Ray and her character, they kind of give you a little bit of that background again, just in case. So I, I do like that. And then we get to Tales from the Wild Space with uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and it's the, the subtitle of this is Stop Thief, and it pretty much looks like a one-shot. And it's a story about Obi-Wan kind of being told in the third person from somebody else, like, you know, like someone's telling someone else a story. And we have this thief, Tritellin, who takes off with something that she believes is a very valuable Jedi artifact. And then the entire story is kind of like a big chase scene, which is very cool because you definitely get the action. You, you get a little bit of humor mixed in there as well. And you kind of get to see a side of Obi-Wan that you wouldn't normally get to see. So I thought that that was an interesting angle for Kavan Scott to go with, is that we get to see a little bit of a humorous side of the Jedi as well. And there was definitely a joke here towards the end of that story that definitely landed for me. And it was very interesting. And I love the facial expressions done in the, in the art as well by Summeriva and company. It's just so very good. And the art throughout is actually very good. I've, I've been on the record before saying as I'm a fan of Derek Charm's work anyway, so when I saw him attached to this book, I was really excited and definitely did not disappoint. And there's like a thousand variant covers for this book as well. They're pretty much all good. So you really can't go wrong if you go to your local shop and grab this. This is definitely a pull for me. I was really hoping that Star Wars Adventures would hit it out of the park. And I think if you have a young adult in your house and they love comics and they love Star Wars, perfect for them. Grab this for them immediately immediately. They will definitely really, really enjoy it. If you're an adult, hey, read it with your kids. I think that's one of the points of comics in the first place. If you can read it with your kid, you're good to go. Something that's definitely very much not for kids is a new story from Boom Studios called Lazaretto, which is written by Clay McLeod Chapman, illustrated by Jay Levang, letters by Aditya Bidikar, and covered by Ignacio Valsenti. I will say this. It's a story about like the first day of college and then orientation and you're moving in and you've got your parents there and they're helping you out. And it was, it's very much normal in that respect. And you have this falls the, it falls two characters, Charles and Tamara, both of whom have very, very different upbringings. And I will, I'll be honest is when I was first reading this book, I thought to myself, okay, this is, I've kind of seen this before and I'm not sure if I'm really interested in this. And I started to get bored, but one of the things that, is also kind of in the background of the story is is that there's an epidemic going on in the world and it's all over the news. I mean, again, again, something you think you'd seen before, right? But then you kind of see the epidemic and this is very much brought out in the art, which I think was a really smart move and it's very gritty. You see this epidemic start to take hold and I don't want to fall, I don't want to spoil this book, but it's kind of in the description anyway, so I'm not really spoiling anything. You once you see it start to take hold, I legit, I could feel my heart racing a little bit more. I, my breathing was getting a little bit more heavy. And I, so I started to legitimately get anxious. I was freaking out a little bit. I mean, this isn't happening to you, but the way that it was brought about kind of in the slow burn type of thing, it was very, very interesting way to go. And I kind of read this late at night and wished I didn't when I was reading it because I'm legitimately sitting there in the dark getting freaked out. I didn't like run around the house and turn on all lights or anything like that, but, but you kind of get that urge. That's how creepy this book was. 
And I mean, you, you do see, you know, the characters, uh, Tamara and Charles, you see them interacting, you know, how they are with their roommates and stuff like that. And that's very kind of ho-hum. But once you get into the actual virus part of the story and what we see is is the the beginning of the evolution of the aftermath of that, I guess you could say, or, or how they gets cranked up to another level. It starts to get very, very interesting. So, so the writing definitely has that panicky type vibe that it gives to the reader. So, I've definitely got to give the creative team credit for that. One thing I will say about the art, though, it just wasn't my cup of tea. I wasn't a huge fan, especially I saw the cover art by Ignacio Valcenti, and it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. I love the cover, and and you flip the page, and I'm not, I'm not knocking the art team on this at all. I'm really not, but. When I get a gorgeous cover like that, and then I turn the, and I just didn't feel like the the interior art met the cover's expectations, and, and that's not the responsibility of anybody. And I understand why the art was this style it was. You kind of needed a gritty, kind of dirty type of art style for this. So I understand why it was done, but still, I mean, it it wasn't. It just wasn't my style. It wasn't my cup of tea. So, so for that reason, I think I've got to give this a pickup, especially since the sh- the book was a little bit slow in the beginning for me. And I wasn't sure exactly whether I was going to continue even reading it or not because I was starting to get bored. But then once it kicked up, it really kicked up. So the last from the middle on definitely saved this book. So I hope to see what's going to be going on with this book in the future. Issue number 30 of Superman actually dropped for Rebirth this week with a new creative team, which was which started in book 29, which is Keith Champagne, art by Ed Bennis, Tyler Kirkham and Philip Tan, letters by Rob Lay, Colors by Danny Ribeiro, Tommy Morrow, and Sonny Go, and cover by Doug Menken and company. Now, if you didn't read issue 29, I've got to spoil this a little bit because kids are disappearing all over Metropolis. And Superman is trying to figure out what is going on with these kids. And again, spoiler alert for issue 29, we find out that these kids are being kind of influenced by Parallax. Yes, that Parallax. The Green Lanterns, Yellow Lanterns, I should say, Parallax. And we see kind of Superman sort of figures this out. And then again, spoiler alert for issue 29, Parallax, Superman makes a deal with Parallax and actually allows Parallax to use his body to possess him. So now Parallax is in control of Superman. And then, of course, at the end, you also see Sinestro show up. And that's why this where this 30th issue picks up. And as you can imagine, the tension between Parallax and Sinestro, you can cut it with a knife. There's a real hatred there, even though they're both from the Yellow Lantern Corps. There's, you know, there's history there, and they don't shy away from that, even though this is a rebirth book. There is history there, and the epic battle in the beginning of this book is very, very cool. But then, Sinestro being Sinestro, that's when things start to get really, really interesting. And one of the things I love that they did in this book is they kind of put Parallax in a place that you don't normally see Parallax put in. And I thought that that was really interesting writing by Keith Champagne. It was so interesting to see that and how the interaction was between he and Sinestro throughout this book was very, very interesting. And then you throw Superman in the mix. You almost forget this is a Superman comic, but I love the fact that you meld this into a Superman book without having a Green Lantern in the book at all. So it just felt like it fit. It didn't feel out of place. It didn't feel like this was a, a forced mashup or anything. It just felt like it fit. And I thought that I think that that's a credit to, to the creative team again as well, is that you make this fit. And there's been a lot of chatter on the uh, on social media about Sinestro in a Superman comic. And maybe this is something that we could see 
again down the line. I think that would be really interesting to see that happen once again. But what I didn't expect at the end of this book is you get a conclusion to this story. So it's literally like a two-issue arc that you're getting here. But at the same time, I say that and maybe you'd consider that a negative thing, but I think that they gave it enough, actually. I think I felt like it ran its course well. I didn't think that it had to absolutely go any longer. I didn't feel like they rushed anything. And that's one of the worries that you have with a book like this. And let's face it, I mean, it's not Sinestro has had a little bit of a hard time of it anyway. If you've been reading Hal, Lander, Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, and if not, you kind of should be anyway. But it felt like this ran its course and it didn't need to go any further. This was a good place to end it. And it actually will continue in Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern Corps. We'll find out more about what goes on with Parallax. One thing I did worry about, and one of the reasons why I was so eager to read this book, was I wanted to see how much of a drop-off there would be between Peter Tomasi's just Eisner-worthy run on Superman. The guy saved Superman comics, okay? Peter J. Tomasi, with the stories that he wrote in that family dynamic, saved Superman comics. I'm just being honest here. I feel like he did. And while we don't really get the family aspect from this new creative team, I don't think that was the point of this story, but you do get something from Superman midway through the story that is very, very interesting and something that you don't really expect and something that happens with Sinestro. And I don't want to spoil it because it's such a meaningful part of this book. And I actually think might play a role going forward with Superman as a character in future issues. So it's some, once you see it, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about when you read this book, and you really should, because the art, too, is just phenomenal across the board. There's a lot of lot of folks on this book that make this art happen, but you don't see any drop-off at all. There's very subtle differences, but it, it doesn't. you don't even notice that there's a huge team working on this book, other than the fact that there's so much going on in a lot of these panels. So great job by everybody involved. This is a pull for me. I will continue to read Superman, and sure, I'm going to love it because I was very, very impressed with this arc specifically. Coming up next, it's This Week in Geek Tainment. It was the 25th anniversary of Batman the Animated Series, and we'll take a look back next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Tara Strong, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Going to be doing something a little bit different for This Week in Geek Tainment. When I was talking about the Batman Harley Quinn movie last week, I realized that September 5th was the 25th anniversary of the first episode of of Batman the Animated Series. Of course, you had the Cat in the Claw Part 1 and On Leather Wings, and I thought it would be cool to kind of talk about that anniversary and how much the show actually meant to us as fans because, I mean, if you think about it, let's go back to the Adam West show in the 60s for a second, and and let's just, even though it was campy and, and it was, let's say, different to put it mildly, it was that show that made so many fans fall in love with Batman and I was one of them even though I was I was a little bit uh too young to have seen that show during its first run it used to rerun all the time and that's how I kind of fell in love with Batman for the first time and that's how I kind of got into the comics and the other animated series and the filmation stuff that they used to do and then I found Batman the animated series later on in my life and of course fell in love with that but you have to realize that when this show came out in 1992 I mean that's far removed from the Adam West show or anything that could make a lot of fans really fall in love with Batman. And I think that this series did that for so many fans of the character now. And that's why Kevin Conroy is the Batman for a lot of people. And I will say myself included, even though, you know, Adam West will always be my first Batman. You know, you always remember your first 
love, right? So Adam West will always be my first Batman. But, I mean, Kevin Conroy, if you look top to bottom, and I know this is an arguable point among fellow nerds who the best Batman is, but Kevin Conroy, whether it be Batman the Animated Series or through the video games or other stuff that he's done with the character, I mean, who's had more of a true definition of what Batman can be and maybe even in certain respects should be than Kevin Conroy? And a lot of that was through Batman the Animated Series, a series that we almost... Didn't even have, as a matter of fact. I mean, I, I, I was reading an interview that Bruce Tim was giving, and, and he was talking about how there was kind of a lukewarm reception to the idea of doing this series. And then after the pilot episode, he said that that kind of shut everybody up, and that's when they realized they had something. And, I mean, think about it. This is a series that won a primetime Emmy Award as an animated series. Now, granted, it was for best animated series but still want a primetime emmy and a daytime emmy how many shows can say that i know a lot of shows wouldn't actually have that opportunity per se but that's there's something to be said for that and and think of what everything else that we were given i mean harley quinn was introduced in batman the animated series and look how far she's come we probably wouldn't have harley or at least not the version of harley that we have today or as popular as she is today without Batman the Animated Series. I mean, at the time, you you kind of, you almost laugh it off. No pun intended. Well, it's me. Of course the pun was intended. You know, you've got Joker's girlfriend, Harley Quinn, right? And maybe you didn't think much of it at first, but then, I mean, that's a character that I really fell in love with back then as well. She was just a fun, crazy, lunatic-type character, but you couldn't help but love her. And Mark Hamill's Joker, same thing. You couldn't help but love him. And there were so many characters like that in this series. As a matter of fact, I mean, you can get... Certainly things got serious in this series as well. I mean, we got to get the backstory for Mr. Freeze in Batman the Animated Series, and that could be gut-wrenching. That was a... They did such a great job with Mr. Freeze's backstory, maybe the best job that anyone's done outside of comics so far. And then, of course, you've got the episode where they talked about Dick Grayson's backstory and Robin. And Robin is a character we didn't see a lot in Batman the Animated Series. But when we got that origin story of Dick Grayson, that was another gut-wrenching episode. And I'm not going to throw episode titles out at you. I know that there are a lot of other sites that have made lists of their top uh, Batman the Animated Series episodes of all time. I won't do that to you here, but... I mean, just the fact that this was a show that, and I think very, very few shows, especially animated series, do this well. It was a show that you could not only enjoy as a kid or as a young adult, but as an adult as well. I still go back and watch Batman the Animated Series and can legitimately enjoy it. There have been cartoons and animated series that I've watched as an adult that I used to love as a kid, and I go, man, I liked this. No, this this is awful. Why did I watch this? But Batman the Animated Series is not that at all. And it also, at times, takes characters out of their comfort zone, Batman included. I mean, that was when we've kind of got the love affair between between he and Talia when they introduced Raish into the series as well. So there were a lot of times where you got to take these characters out of their comfort zone. And the fact that fans embraced that even back then and continued to do that to this day, I mean, it seems like... Batman the Animated Series is almost considered more canon than a lot of other things, and even some of the Batman comics at times, too. So the fact that we're celebrating this 25th anniversary, and it seems like it's almost gone unnoticed, and it's almost like, come on, guys, are we really not going to acknowledge this as a big, big deal? And I know we've got Batman Day coming up, which is going to be kind of a Harley Quinn takeover. DC released a bunch of really cool cover images, actually. Harley's going to be taking over classic Batman covers because it is her 25th anniversary, but it's also the 25th anniversary 
of Batman the Animated Series. So you kind of lump those two things together. And I think the Harley thing is kind of overshadowing the Batman thing and giving her pop, given her popularity. I understand it. But the series as a whole, if you just sit down and think about it for a second, was a huge, huge deal on where Batman is now. Think of all the things we might not have if it wasn't for a Batman the Animated Series. I mean, they actually did an episode where a bunch of the rogues sat around and talked about how many, we almost got Batman, right? And that was one of the best episodes ever. I think it was like Almost Got Him or something like that was the title of the episode. Yay, I remembered one. But think of all the things that we might not have had had it not been for this. I mean, comics as well. I mean, where does DC go? Where does DC Entertainment go without Batman the Animated Series? Would they probably have figured it out at some point? Sure, they would have figured out something that worked. But so many things that wouldn't be here, and certainly I don't think we would have been talking about Batman Harley Quinn movie last week if it wasn't for a Batman the Animated Series. So just a quick look back at Batman the Animated Series and something that I'll always fondly remember and something I can't wait to share with my son someday. Up next, a ton of nerd news and another exit in the Star Wars universe. Next, on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm Haley Mancini. And I'm Jake Goldman. And we are writers for the Powerpuff Girls. And you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Yeah. We're about to find out that some galaxies are more far, far away than others because it's time for nerd news. And the biggest story of the week has to be Colin Trevorrow being out as the director of Star Wars Episode Nine. Now, I won't get into the whole thing of what happened, and, and there's multiple outlets that are reporting different things. This was a mutual parting of the ways, according to Disney and, and everyone involved. And there are some rumors as of recording this show that Ryan Johnson could take over Episode Nine, that J.J. Abrams might be brought back as well. And I know people's feelings about Star Wars The Force Awakens and how it was a carbon copy of A New Hope, which I didn't completely agree with. I mean, I see the similarities, but I also see the differences as well. And I I tend to love J.J. Abrams' work anyway. So that wouldn't upset me. I know it would upset plenty of Star Wars fans, but it wouldn't upset me. I'm sure you'd be a lot more upset about, remember when George Lucas said he would love to direct the last Star Wars movie? First of all, does do any of us think that this will be the last Star Wars movie? No, probably not, right? But at the same time, do you want George Lucas anywhere near the director's chair for this movie? No, you absolutely don't. So if I'm picking from those three possibilities, if episode eight is good, and I know that you're hoping it is, I'm hoping it is, if it's good, why not? If he's available, just stick with Ryan Johnson. There's something to be said with consistency sometimes, especially in movies. So if you can get Ryan Johnson back, if the movie does well, and if everything's a success, why not just bring him back and let him round out the trilogy? So you'd have J.J. doing the first one, Ryan Johnson doing the next two. I don't understand why that would be a bad thing. But here's the other problem. You want to talk about a disturbance in the force. What is the deal with Star Wars losing directors and cast members and they completely recast someone? Paul Bettany was on the set. Of, of the Han Solo solo movie that looks like he's completely replacing another character. So And, of course, you had Ron Howard joining on board. Now, I'm not saying that these changes don't seem to work out for the best for Disney, or at least on the surface they do. But, you know, you hire these people origi- originally for a reason, right? So I don't understand what goes so wrong in that initial process. And then this is the second time now in a row with directors especially that it seems like the whole creative differences flag has been thrown up. And I know that's usually a blanket statement for we're not going to tell you the real truth. 
But in this case, saying creative differences, I guess I can kind of see that because now we have precedent for it. So, I mean, what what did they see that worked so well for them in the initial process of hiring, hiring Colin Trevorrow? And now they're looking at and going, ah, you know what? No, let's not do that. Because obviously no shooting's been done for episode nine yet. I'm sure they're still in the scripting phase, or at least in pre-production. There's no, been no official announcements. So I, I just don't understand why now you get rid of Trevorrow. I know that work hasn't started on it yet, and maybe that's the, the best point of it. Or maybe they just believe that much in Ryan Johnson. Maybe they're looking at what they're seeing for episode eight and saying, you know what? We've got something here. So let's just let's explore this and let's just let him finish it up. Maybe that's the plan all along. I don't know. It just seems like this many shakeups in the world of Star Wars, it just doesn't bode well. And, and that kind of stuff always makes for very, very interesting and sometimes not very good storytelling. Hopefully that is not the case. Let's talk about the story that kind of shook social media to its very core. The fact that Mario, according to Kotaku, is no longer a plumber. I mean, this kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit until Kotaku found it on the Nintendo Japan website where there was a description of saying, and he was once a plumber. And you're going, whoa, Mario's been a plumber for years, and, and you just take that away from him? And it was it was hard for some fans to take it. I mean, I'll, I'll admit it was a shock to the system for me, but it was more for me that I had a different reaction of, wait a minute, he was still a plumber? I mean, Mario, let's face it, Mario's had almost as many jobs as Barbie, it's hard to keep track of all the jobs that Mario's had. I mean, referee, you could even, if you liked Super Mario 2, you could gardener, maybe. I don't know, but it just seems like, it, it, I, I had no idea that he was still a plumber in the first place. I know that that's been part of the lore for a while, but I mean, think about it. He was a carpenter when things sort of started out in Donkey Kong. And now, you know, once the warp pipes were brought in, that's when they made him a plumber because it just kind of made sense. And the animated series, of course, he was a plumber with Luigi. So I guess it just kind of became a part of Mario over the years. And it's hard for us to let go of that. It's admittedly hard for me to let go of that. But at the same time, I don't necessarily define Mario with his job anyway. And if you really think about it, you probably don't either. But because that was so much a part of who he was... I guess it's a shock to the system. I'd be more shocked at an outfit change, I think, and at a costume change than anything else. But, I mean, you look at Super Mario Odyssey, which I can't wait to play and looks amazing, by the way. What I see there is maybe we see a new job for him. Maybe electrician. I mean, you see him going through those wires and having that magical capability to go through these wires. Maybe electrician will be his next job. I mean, he's certainly got the skill set. He's been a carpenter. He's been a plumber. Why not add electrician to that mix i mean maybe that's weird and maybe a little too on the nose for what they're doing i don't know but it just it just sort of makes sense doesn't it make him an electrician i wouldn't i wouldn't mind seeing mario the electrician and i'm sure that there's plenty that you can play off of that as well sticking in the video game world really quickly this one was a surprise for a lot of reasons rockstar games announcing la noir was not really a surprise it's going to be for ps4 xbox one they're going to have a vr version of it as well here was the big surprise the fact that now there's going to be a Nintendo Switch version of L.A. Noir, And, I mean, for a detective-type game like this to be on the Nintendo Switch, do you understand what we're seeing here? I mean, in my opinion, we're seeing more and more developers start to take Nintendo Switch seriously. I mean, we've seen how well that it's sold in Japan. I mean, we haven't really seen any solid numbers for U.S. sales yet. But 
We've gone from a system that people were, when they first saw it, going, ah, I don't know, I don't know if this, or is it going to be the same old, same old with Nintendo, where they're just sticking with family-friendly games and there's nothing really major for, for any adults or young adults. And then even developers were probably wondering if they wanted to get on board with Nintendo and even bother because of the failures of the Wii and the and the Wii U. So now we're kind of seeing more and more developers, and this L.A. Noir is a perfect example, coming to the Nintendo Switch. And I think that this bodes well for Nintendo's future, and I think that they've earned that with things that they've done recently. I mean, we've, saw, we've seen a little bit from PAX West about what was going on with Metroid, and we got a little bit more information on that. But now this news to me tells me that developers are finally starting to realize that the Nintendo Switch is a serious player in the console wars. I mean, it's going to take a while because Nintendo, let's face it, hasn't had the best track record over the years, and this could certainly go south. But I mean, think about it. We just had a story recently that the CEO of Pokemon said that he didn't believe that the Nintendo Switch was going to succeed at all. He thought it was going to be a failure, and now it looks like that is not the case. So, I wonder how much further this is going to go. And there's been rumors about a new Batman game that's been in development. We don't really have any details on it or what DC might be planning for the future. But if we see a game like that come to the Nintendo Switch or have a version that can be played on Nintendo Switch, I think that's going to be the big one. I think once we get the first really big title, I mean, I know Skyrim was a big deal when that was announced at E3. But if we keep seeing titles like this being added to the Switch and Nintendo expanding their library even further, their original content for all ages puts them a step ahead of everybody else, I think, because you don't really see a lot of great all-ages content for Xbox One and for PS4. And I'm sure that would be argued by gamers, and I'm not saying there aren't any good family-friendly games for those consoles, but I'm just saying when you think family-friendly, you absolutely positively think Nintendo how could you not so if they start getting into more serious gaming as well that to me says that they could really catch up in the console wars like I said it'll take a while but I think that they could absolutely build ground and maybe even surpass one of the two maybe that maybe they go past Microsoft or maybe if Microsoft goes past Sony Sony finds themselves in third place you have to constantly evolve in gaming otherwise you're just going to get run over really aren't you a little bit of quick hit nerd news now. Gavin O'Connor is signed on for the director of Suicide Squad 2. You might recognize that name. He worked with Ben Affleck in The Accountant. He also worked on a movie with Tom Hardy called Warrior. Seems like a good choice depending on which direction that they go. I don't know how well Gavin O'Connor is going to handle the humor side because he's going to be scripting as well. And you know that Suicide Squad 2 had a lot of humor. So it'll be really, really interesting to see what happens there. Sci-Fi has announced that they're going to cancel Dark Matter after three seasons, which is not really a shock. I couldn't really get into Dark Matter. I know that, well, it made it three seasons and it had a decent fan base, but look what sci-fi has coming. You have Krypton. You've got Happy. You've got so many other shows that they're developing and that, that they're coming out with. You don't really have room for shows that are kind of, you know, bubbling below the surface and, you know, maybe it should be canceled, maybe it shouldn't. So eventually some of these shows have to go, and if Dark Matter had to be one of them, then so be it. So, I mean... I know that it had a little bit of a following. I don't see it being brought by, back by any streaming services or anything like that. But if I'm a show like maybe uh, Expanse, which I love, you better watch out. And it sh- this should actually kind of make all sci-fi shows want to step up their game a little bit because sci-fi is doing a lot of great things with their shows like the magicians that they have already. This should make you want to step up your game, and it just means for better TV for us. So I'm all for that. This was a very interesting one. You, you might have read my review of Sheena, Queen of the Jungle, 
on our website, downandnerdypodcast.com. Dynamite's brought her back to comics. Now it looks like there's another reboot for Sheena, Queen of the Jungle, that's going to be coming from Millennium. Now, Sheena's already had one movie and two TV shows years ago, and it seems like there's been a couple of stories that said, you know, studios are looking for the next Wonder Woman. They want the next female lead. We know we have the Tomb Raider movie that's going to be coming, though, and that'll be coming a lot sooner with Alicia Vikander. And I think that one might actually take up that mantle of being yet another Wonder Woman. And I think that's going to play into Sony's favor big time. So this one's interesting, though, because I could see how it might work. But the settings that that movie would be in, that hasn't really played off well in recent times. I mean, I know like a movie like Kong Skull Island had some success, but we've seen Tarzan reboots have mixed reviews. And if it's not being done by Disney, which this one isn't, then those kind of settings don't really seem to play off well. But I mean, if you're looking at who could play Sheena, I mean, first name that pops into my head is Catherine Winnick. I think that she could do a tremendous job. And, you know, how, how can you go wrong with Charlize Theron, assuming that she would want to do that I mean she certainly has the fighting skills to do it so it, I mean it makes sense I'm not sure that Catherine Winnick's even going to have the time but I, I could see her being one of those choices for that role speaking of choices it looks like the Powerpuff Girls are about to choose a fourth member of course that was announced on Entertainment Weekly that the fourth member would be coming to the show on September the 17th now we know that it's not going to be Princess Morbucks because this Powerpuff Girl in the teaser image that they showed is a lot taller than the rest of the Powerpuff Girls, and it seems like bigger as well. So there's been some stuff leaked from Sizzle Reels over in Russia from Cartoon Network, and maybe that's what the character's going to look like, and maybe it's not. I don't really like to deal in, in, in leaks and stuff like that. So it'll be very interesting to see how they choose this character. I mean, I think that maybe this is their chance to, to bring a little bit more diversity to the Powerpuff Girls show, and I think that that's one of the things that they're going to do. And I know that... Uh, Jake Goldman and Haley Mancini, who we've had on the show before, do a great job writing that show and creating this new world that they've done in the reboot and done a very honorable job with that. So I think that whatever they decide to do, I'm on board with. I have that trust level with them, and I think that they've built that trust level with Powerpuff Girls fans as well. Up next, we're going to talk to the cast of DC's Legends of Tomorrow as we get ready for the fall TV season. That's next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Matt Lesher from The Flash and Legends of Tomorrow, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's time to start our coverage of Fall TV 2017. I think something that we look forward to the most, don't we? And we're going to start out, I was at San Diego Comic-Con 2017 this past year. Got to talk to the cast and crew of DC's Legends of Tomorrow. It's going to be a big third season for them. And I started out talking to Victor Garber about the introduction of his daughter and how that's affected his character. Do you think it's more so now because that daughter dynamic was brought in that he would kind of trend toward that? Because now he has something even more than he had before? Yes. I mean, I think the daughter, you know, I think that was a great, uh, from my, you know, my participation in the show, that was a really great thing. Because, first of all, she's a sublime actress. And uh, I love working with her. And we just actually did another scene together uh, this season. And, and it looks like they're, they're, they're developing that relationship, which I'm very happy about. Because for me, it's all about the personal interaction. All the, everything else is, is gravy and fun for everybody else. Mm-hmm. But for me as an actor, that's, you know, it's, it's, if you're playing to a green screen and a fake dinosaur, you know, it's, it's not all that interesting, frankly. 
Victor went on to talk about his character evolving, and I asked him how that related to his relationship with Jefferson. He's Martin is, I think, growing and developing and evolving. Hopefully. Would you say the same about his relationship with, with Jefferson acro yes. across the season as well? Yes. I mean, I think it's very different now than when it started. I think mm -hmm. they're much more equals, much more uh, treating each other as equals. And, and uh, he, he's, again, you know, he's learned a lot from Jefferson and, uh, and, is, and values him in a very deep way. Next up, I talked to Dominic Purcell, and he talked about having one foot on the villain side and one foot on the hero side on Legends of Tomorrow. You talk about that one foot in and one foot out. Do you feel like he's starting to use that as, it is, as an advantage more mentally, like he did last season where it seemed like he'd turn, but it was actually all a ploy on his part? Yeah, I mean, when I say in foot, one, one foot out, one foot, I mean, before he had two feet out, and he was right. just holding on by a, a, a little finger. Mm -hmm. Now he's kind of put one foot back in, and he's on. You know, he's he's appreciating the. Uh, you know, if you if you will, there are moments of genuine love from certain characters that that that, that are displayed towards Mick. You know, he's never had that before. You know, so these people are slowly becoming his family. It's very dysfunctional, <laughs> but they're still becoming his family. Dominic was talking about Rory's role in season three and something that he might be doing that he might not really like so much. I don't know, but I have been told that we were joking around that Rory ends up cleaning up a whole lot of dinosaur, dinosaur shit. <laughs> and, he's, and he's not too happy about it. The Jurassic janitor. Yeah. <laughs> He's not too fucking happy about it. <laughs> At the time I was talking to the cast of DC's Legends of Tomorrow at San Diego Comic-Con, we didn't know who the villain was going to be yet, so I asked Dominic about that. Speaking of the way the timeline is really messed up right now, there's really been no mention of who a villain might be for this upcoming season. So are we going to see a main villain or at this point because Damien of the Dark. way things are? Damien Dark. Damien Dark. Yeah, and a few of his henchmen. So he's coming back. He's coming back. Oh, all right. Yeah, so he's going to be the, the main guy we're up against. I think mid-season he comes back. Oh, excellent. Yeah, yeah. It's Very cool. Next up, I talked to Maisie Richardson-Sellers about playing Amaya and how her abilities will actually maybe become very important in the beginning part of Season 3. How important are those abilities going to be early on in this season, given what the team's going through right now? Yeah, it's really important. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have the Time Bureau who sort of come and help us a little bit as well. And they sort of start, start being a bit of a rivalry group because they're kind of doing what we do, but we don't want to go home. So we need to find some place and some position for us within it as well. So there's a bit of a sort of race to fix time through time with them. That's a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, a lot of time. <laughs> We know the Vixen's family has played a big role in Damien Dark's future or past, whichever way you want to look at it. So I asked Maisie Richardson-Sellers about that. Speaking of the crossovers, Dominic was just telling us that Damien Dark is going to be back this season. And one of your ancestors definitely has some history with Damien Dark yeah. from Arrow. So yeah. if, if there was a crossover, that, that could become that an issue. Be so your family just can't That's stay away from this yeah. dude. Maybe you should write this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you could good. drop that hint, I, will, I wouldn't I be upset. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would be fantastic. And I think Damien Dark coming back, I don't know what way, but we've been told it's going to be in a different way. He's a different kind of version of himself. Whatever that means. It's a mystery. Same actor, yeah. 
But so I think that will also depend. I don't know what his, if will he remember his old self. I don't know what way we'll find him. What form we'll find him in. Um, so yeah, that's exciting as well. Interesting. I'm not sure if I'll be leaving the show for our position in the DC Legends of Tomorrow writers' room anytime soon, but I did ask Maisie about maybe Vixen taking on more of a leadership role. Do you think we could see her at some point taking a little bit more of a leadership role on the team? We know that Sarah's the captain of the ship, but I mean, it's such a strong character. Could we see her maybe ascend to that at some point later on in the season? I think she'd be up for it. I think she'd be great at it. I mean, I think she'd be great at the actual doing but not so great maybe at the negotiating among the team. <laughs> I don't think she has as much patience as Sarah does. Um, I'd love to see it. I think just to see her in as many different situations as possible would be great and seeing how she reacts to that. So hopefully... Next up, I talked to Nick Zano, and not only is he a hero now on the show, but he's also a historian. So after everything that's happened, what has that been like for his character? You've definitely transitioned more into the superhero role, especially towards the end of last season. But, you know, you got to remember your character's still a historian. So to see this timeline and, and, I guess, history itself so messed up, how is that affecting your character? Well, that renders everything he knows useless. Once we destroy time, Nate only has steel. Because time doesn't exist anymore. And piecing that together is going to be a lot more difficult than prior to knowing everything that happened in history. Which, by the way, thank God, because it's very hard to remember those historical <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> I heard that, I think I high-fived Phil. And he's like, so history gets ruined, so Nate kind of doesn't know anything. I'm like, awesome. <laughs> Let him turn to steel. Apparently all the dinosaurs were played by tennis balls on sticks, so how weird is it to run away from that? Is it even more odd to run away from a tennis ball on a stick? It's odd to do anything with a tennis ball outside of playing tennis. (laughs) (laughs) The new face on DC's Legends of Tomorrow this year is Tala Ash, who's going to be playing Zari, and I asked her how her character being an activist may affect the rest of the team. Well, how much of her being an activist do you think could actually help change the entire team dynamic once she does meet them and maybe kind of bring her, bring them over to her side in that regard? Yeah, you know, I think, I think she does sort of challenge the team to maybe think about their journeys in a more, um, as activists and as um, humanitarians almost. And like, how do you, how do we make, there's been a lot of like really messed up things that have happened in history. Like, is is it possible that we could actually fix some of those things and it improve, you know, whether it be you know women's rights or um, African American, you know, there's so many again things that have been terrible in in history. And uh, yeah, I, I I do think she challenges them to maybe be humanitarians, actually, as legends. We've talked about the perils of time travel a lot on this show, but how soon will Zari learn that lesson on Legends of Tomorrow? One of the things that every character on this show seems to learn at some point is the perils of time travel and things that can go wrong. So how like quickly vomiting. yeah, how quickly will your <laughs> character learn those? How, how quickly will your character learn that lesson? I think pretty quickly. Yeah, and I, I really hope vomiting is involved. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hope not. <laughs> Let's leave it at that. <laughs> Next up, I talked to Katie Lotz, and apparently when she learned something new on her own, they actually write it into the show, so she learned Krav Maga. What else did she learn? As if her arsenal couldn't evolve anymore, and now you're going to add even more to her arsenal and all that stuff. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and they write, like, if I'm like, oh, hey, like, I learned nunchucks. Like, then they'll, they'll write it in. So I'm like, what else? Like, I mean, like a switchblade, <laughs> some nunchucks, and just kind of come up with some cool stuff. 
DC's already announced that they're going to have a huge four-part crossover this season with Arrow, The Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, and Supergirl. Does that mean the sisters might actually meet up again? There's been a lot of talk today about the fact there's going to be a big four-part crossover coming up at some point this season, which I'm sure that you all don't really know anything about yet, but we were talking to Katie Cassidy earlier, and she said how much she'd love for... Laurel and Sarah to meet again at some point is that something you'd love to see as well possibly in that crossover and how would that go I have no idea how it would go but I would love to see it um, I don't have any sisters in real life so like Katie's like my the closest thing that I was to a sister and like we lived together last season and, and she she's awesome and I and I love the chemistry that we have as sisters on screen like there there's just there feels like there's a lot there and I don't know what it would be like since she's not my sister technically anymore, right. but I'd, I'd love to find out. And I think that that lack of that would also have a lot because Sarah would still be like, you look like my sister like this, but you're not. And that feel the loss more. Or, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how the whole Earth 2 and other things work either. <laughs> Next up, Dr. Ray Palmer himself, Brandon Routh, and the only one on the team with dinosaur experience. Will that help him? So you're the only one on this crew with dinosaur experience, really. So uh, how's that going to play out? Uh, well, I give him a lot. I can give him a lot of information, which is kind of a little bit useless. But, uh, yeah, we get it gets dealt with. Let's just say it gets dealt with rather easily um, at the beginning of, the, of, uh, of episode one. We've seen a lot of Ray Palmer, the hero. Now will we get back to a little bit more Ray Palmer, the scientist, this season on Legend of Tomorrow? That's one of the things I love about the character, not just from your perspective, but from the comics as well, is the scientist, the creator. Yeah. Are we going to see a little bit more of that this season, you think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what, when we started Ray on Arrow, that's what he was. He was the inventor of the scientist, and, and that's where his joy and passion for bettering the world comes out of. And so we've stepped away from that a little bit as we're off, you know, uh, swashbuckling and stuff but uh, you know I think we're going to get back to that a little bit more in the season especially with the introduction of Zari it's going to be more invention technology that Ray's creating um, to um, affect change in, in the history for, for good or ill but yeah get back to that fun stuff Finally, I got to talk to Friends Drama, and we know that John Barrowman was a big part of the Legion of Doom on Legends of Tomorrow last season. Did he pull any pranks behind the scenes? We know he's known for that. Speaking of teasing each other on the time, you guys had John Barrowman on the show last year, and he's notorious for his antics behind the scenes. So do you have any stories from filming with him of stuff that happened when the cameras weren't rolling that you can tell us? Um... <laughs> <laughs> um, nah, we, we just had a blast. Like, we always just kind of cracking jokes and um, like just doing silly things and messing around. Like, he's, he's super fun. I literally, when he's on set, like, I'm just like, oh, I don't want to go home. Like, this, this guy's super fun <laughs> to work with. So, yeah, he's a joy to work with. Love John. Get him back. Bring back Merlin. That's kind of a good way to end it, right? Bring back Merlin, because that's that's what we want, isn't it? Whether it be on DC's Legends of Tomorrow or anywhere in the verse, just bring John Barrowman back. Listen to friends. It's got to happen, right? That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Thank you so much to the cast of Legends of Tomorrow for speaking with me at San Diego Comic-Con 2017. Can't wait to see what's in store for the beginning of Season 3 of Legends of Tomorrow, which starts on October the 10th. Our fall TV coverage is going to continue throughout the month and into October. You know we're going to have so many great guests 
on the show to talk about your favorite shows and some that maybe you don't know about that you should know about. Make sure I tell you about those as well. You can always find out about what we have going on at our website, downandnerdypodcast.com. That's where you can find everything that we're doing. Also, our social media pages, facebook.com slash downandnerdy, at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram as well. And don't forget, you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.